This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies ed tech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and it helps you assess student performance through actionable real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of different tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com forward slash B-E. That's IXL.com forward slash B-E. Hello, and welcome to episode six of season two of Tell Me This, a podcast about belonging, building communities, and cultivating connections and authentic spaces for listening, learning, and leaning into our experiences. I'm your host, Brianne Roos, here with Dr. Carrie Borkowski. I'm throwing the doctor in there for you. I know. You keep don't doing it don't do that. Don't do that. <laughs> I was going to clap it. because you got the episode and season right this time. So yeah, good I job. Look at you. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I am so excited about today's Ugh, episode because we are going to talk with Dr. Astrid Schmidt-King, who is a colleague of mine at Loyola University, Maryland. She is an attorney and just a phenomenal educator and leader. Yes. And so we're going to hear her experiences of teaching, learning, and belonging. Um, and working in, in a deli, don't forget. Yes. Oh, gosh. <laughs> I mean, you're just going to, you're going to love it. I'm so excited. Yeah, yeah for um, sure. And along those lines, yeah, along those lines, I wanted to start with just sharing a quick story about coffee, because that was something that came up in her interview. So years ago, I was talking with a colleague who had just left a campus coffee stand, where unfortunately, a student was rude to the woman um, who had worked to prepare and serve the coffee to the student. So my colleague came into my office kind of upset because she had over, the, over time taken time to chat with this barista and got to know a bit of her story and that she took several buses to get to work. She had another job and she took great pride in being a Loyola employee. Mm. And so my colleague said, you know, she just wished that our students had the opportunity to get to know members of the campus community as whole people, kind of beyond the job of, of making coffee in this case. So we sat there and I still remember where we were in which office um, mm. and we just kind of had this moment. We collaborated and we created a project that we called the Magis Project. And Magis is a term in Jesuit education that means the more. Mm. And it's really like the deeper more. So it's not just like adding, you know, scoops of ice cream. It's, it's like going deep um, and kind of understanding people. So we both at that time taught a first year speech language pathology course about communication. It was a pretty broad kind of survey course. And in this project, the students had to interview someone on campus, anyone other than a fellow student. So it could have been, um, you know, the people that did landscaping all the way up to the president of the university. And actually to walk the walk, my colleague and I did interview the president of the university um, wow. just to show the students that, you know, everybody's within your reach and that sure. everybody has a story. So that was kind of neat. So their task was to ask questions and to learn about the person's story. And then they presented their findings to the class. And I think like so many of these 
projects that feel really risky when you create them, mm. the reward is just incredible. Um, and this, this project year after year, you know, just the, the, it was so meaningful. We all learned so much about the guy who makes the best grilled cheese in, you know, in the one cafeteria um, uh -huh. and his family. And the woman who worked in the bookstore, I remember this one. So the student had gone into the bookstore <laughs> to get duct tape because her Halloween costume was falling apart. <laughs> So she went in there and she, and this uh, employee was very helpful to her. And so this girl was like, oh, you're so nice. I have to do this project, like for this class where I have to interview somebody, like, would you be okay with that? So she went back the following week and interviewed the bookstore employee and was just blown away that this person really truly loved books. <laughs> That's why she was working <laughs> in the bookstore. And she wanted to pursue a career in publishing and she oh had this gosh. deep knowledge and passion for books and, and literacy and all these things. And the student was like, I just thought that she was doing it for like a nine to five job. Oh I, I never realized. So it was just, it was really neat to, to kind of learn more about that. Yeah. Um, and the woman who cleans the dorms, my student found out that she's taking college courses. Mm. So they could have been, you know, kind of classmates there. Yes. My point is that when we give students the opportunity to learn more and to dig into that Magis idea, um, they did so really kind of brilliantly and with a lot of fervor and with a lot of gratitude. Mm -hmm. so it reminds me, I have, to, I have to say, it reminds me of the discussion or I keep saying discussion, but the conversation we had with uh, Paula Clark with the mirror. It's like, it yes. feels like it's related in some way. So yeah. nice. Yep, exactly. Um, this project that kind of embraced the idea that everybody has a story mm. um, was born out of an event at a coffee stand. And that's, that was the connection there. So mm. stay tuned for some more coffee inspired thoughts coming up from Ask Dr. Astrid Schmidt King. Nice. Hello and welcome back to Tell Me This. Carrie and I are looking forward to a rich discussion with one of my colleagues at Loyola University, Maryland, Astrid Schmidt-King. We met uh, several years back at a teaching enhancement workshop, appropriately, I guess, for this discussion. And um, we've remained in touch since, and this is great. We're, I'm really happy to have the opportunity to, to talk together today. So I'll give you a little bit of a bio. Dr. Astrid Schmidt-King is an attorney who is an executive in residence for management and international business at Loyola University, Maryland. In addition to teaching, she's also the director of the international business program, as well as several other programs within the business school. And prior to pursuing a field in higher ed, uh, Astrid practiced law in the fields of immigration law, business compliance, and healthcare. Her education background certainly speaks to her dedication to ongoing learning as she earned a law degree and an LLM in law and government, and most recently an MA in international relations and global politics from Free University in Berlin, Germany. Astrid was recently named an emerging and developing global executive fellow by the World Trade Center Institute. And while all of these roles may on the surface seem unrelated, she sees them as intricately linked in support of creating an innovative and inclusive community committed to Cura Personalis, which is part of the Jesuit mission to care for and educate the whole person. And that is a mission that's very close to my own heart and my own teaching. So it's really nice to have you on. Thank you for coming. Thank you. And our first question, as we ask all of our guests, is just touching base. How are you? How are you? How are your family? How are you all holding up? 
Yeah, we are. It's uh, certainly a time of, of humility and grace and uh, lots of adaptability and flexibility. <laughs> so we uh, moved one of, uh, one of my stepchildren went to college and was in residential hall for about four days. And, and we moved her <laughs> yesterday when, when they got uh, relocated back home. Uh, and, oh, no. uh, you know, it's, uh, it, I told her it'll be very good for a cover letter one day. <laughs> <laughs> So we are we are doing well and uh, you know taking it moment by moment and, and grateful to to be in positions of having jobs when we realize others haven't been as fortunate as us. Yeah, for absolutely, sure. Yeah. Absolutely. So Astrid, it's so it's so nice to meet you. I know we don't know each other, um, so it's I'm I'm looking forward to to speaking this morning. And um, your bio is quite impressive, so I'm I'm looking forward to hearing from you. Um, for folks who know the podcast, we really, it's grounded in this idea of belonging and building community and, and cultivating those connections with our students. And I know that's also close to your heart. So I'm, I'm happy to have you here. So the question we always like to start off with is when you think of that term belonging, that concept, sort of what comes to mind for you? What do you think about? You know, I, I think it's this term that we try to define and we try to see as kind of static. And, and I think it's just it's something that's constantly being revised and that we have to enter with kind of new eyes and new lenses. And it's certainly now, not just with COVID, but with Black Lives Matters. Mm -hmm. um, for me, I think about where did I get this sense of this was something that was always critical to me. It's why I went into immigration law, right? This is an area that is the self and the other, us versus them, mm -hmm. identity, who belongs, who doesn't belong. Um, and this is tied to worthiness. And so. For me, um, I might have letters after my name, but I can tell you my best education was uh, my parents' deli luncheonette we've had for over 50 years, yeah. um, which sadly has, has uh, been shut down. It's in Queens, New York. Mm. Uh, but the goal wasn't coffees or the food. The, the goal of that luncheonette was how do you create a place, a sense of place, a sense of belonging for everybody. Mm. And that was... Uh, that is to this day my best education. And um, my parents teaching me no matter who walks through that door, in any way, you give them the respect, you give them the courtesy and you give them, this is a place for them um, and you are with them. And so that's where my sense of belonging, it kind of was grounded and rooted. And it is, it is my guide, uh, guide point and compass to this day. Nice. Thank you for that. I don't have a family business in a deli, but I have to be honest and say that I spent several summers as a college student working in an Italian deli with oh. an Italian family. And what is it about delis that it is a community and making sandwiches and gosh, I made so many Italian subs. I can't even tell you, but you're right. Yeah. I, hadn't, yeah. I hadn't thought about it that way, but you're right. It does. I don't know. You are, you're caring for the person and connecting and getting to know. I remember you know, the same people would come in every day and you'd check in with their family. So that, that's amazing that you had it in your family. That's really cool. So, so quick aside, I remember when, when Sandy came in and there was so much flooding and obviously no one was getting deliveries, right? You didn't get the bread man to come or the meat yeah. man or the milk man. My parents said, we're opening. And I thought, what are you opening? They said, we need to have some consistency. And I think consistency is actually a real part of belonging. Um, that with, if we have coffee to serve, that there's some consistent, consistency in our community mm. and that we are there for them till we run out of the coffee or run out of the milk, but that you show up. 
And so um, there really is something to uh, to that little corner, yeah. corner store. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you. Great. Well, it's interesting, Astrid, because before you got on, I said to Carrie, I hope she talks about the deli. I just, I hope that comes in. And if she doesn't, I'm going to ask a follow-up question. And there it was. First question. I love it. It was great. I lead with it. I lead with it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so in addition to talking about belonging, this season of Tell Me This is also really focusing on learners and, and teachers and kind of how those two things are integrated and how those identities um, you know, kind of synthesized together in our work. So we would love to know your perspective on that. What does that look like for you? Sure. I think all of us are going through kind of some shifts in mindset, right? I feel like I've heard the word unprecedented and pivoting more in these last five months than ever <laughs> in my life. Um, but I think they're used because they're accurate. So this sense of belonging and being kind of a learner, but also kind of being in this role of professor, I've often thought about it and, you know, I, I tell my students in the U.S. you have 34% give or take Americans who have college degrees. Mm -hmm. Globally, that number is shy of 7%. And so when we're thinking about this sense of belonging on our community, I also think it's always important to have that sense of belonging on your community, not your kind of micro, but what is it also at the macro level? Because you can belong in a bubble, but it's more important to also, how do you belong outside of that bubble and what is your responsibility and how are you gonna enter that? And so I think that's kind of where, where I've historically come from. I think now, as I think about, you know, this time next week, we'll be mid-week until we're kicking off classes for the fall semester uh, on an online format. And it's not just about COVID and, and, and that is something, and I know you've spoken about this on prior podcasts, that's like a universal thing, right? We've all experienced that. So you can find a commonality even if there's differences between that. But I also think we have the civil unrest, we have Black Lives Matters, and I am the learner there and I make no mistake about that. And so for me, thinking about how can I be a learner, how can I signal to my community, to my students on an online platform that I realize they will often be the teachers for me in that regard. Um, and I welcome that. Um, and, and, but it does take, you all have talked about this, you know, a sense of vulnerability, a sense of openness to want to learn. Um, but I think that's, I think there's going to be a beauty with it. I'm actually really I'm not grateful for the time. I'm grateful for the conversation and the, and the hope that there can be a sustained real progress. And so um, I think more than ever, I'm the learner. And we, we enter the classroom as a team every year and this year even more so. Astrid, how do your students respond to sort of you entering the space as the learner? Because I mean, a lot of times my students are very happy, but I, every once in a while I get students that are sort of confused by that dynamic because of that. I'm just wondering what your experiences have been with that. Yeah, it's right because there's this really delicate dance because you're also the leader. You have to um, give them the confidence that you know your subject matter expertise. Yeah. I also think you have to give them the comfort that they know you are human and to show your humanity. And, you know, uh, one of the students, and I say this often, um, said to me years ago, I don't know, I don't care what you know till I know that you care. Mm. And 
so one, and I, 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 I repeat that all the time to my students, to sh and I tell them constantly, I care about you as a whole person. That's why I'm at Loyola. That's why I'm at a smaller school. Um, but what I find is, in some ways, the substance of the class is secondary to showing the caring. Once they, they know you care and you're in it, their buy-in increases exponentially. They have more self-confidence in themselves. They want to impress you. They feel more of a connection. And so for me, I, while we often lead with our substance, I, I've actually switched that. I spend a lot of time creating the, the environment because uh, that also creates the environment where they can show their imperfections. They have permission not to know the answer. That's okay. And that's not me judging them as a failure. That's me judging them as, as courageous. Yeah. I love, I love that. Um, I, Brianne, you're right. This is, I like, Asher and I don't know each other. I feel like, oh, you're, you're speaking my <laughs> language. <laughs> because that's something, when you said substance is secondary, I feel like that's something that I have thought for a long time. And to be honest, if we're being honest here, have been sometimes hesitant to share that with colleagues in higher ed because I'm supposed to be this subject matter expert, but I feel strongly often that sort of my my success as a teacher isn't because I'm this amazing expert. It's because I'm willing to connect and have figured out how to connect with my students. So thanks for saying that out loud. No, no, it's, um, you know, I think we all have the subject matter expertise. Like we know that. And yeah. I think the other is the ongoing learning, right? That's Every right. semester you have a different, um, it's like having you know, several different uh, kids with different personalities. Every semester, every class, yeah. um, if we, if we approach it only by substance, then we're not honoring the individuality and, and in the classroom. And then how can we ever make progress on kind of really learning others lived experiences in, especially with, you know, diversity, equity, and inclusion uh, at the forefront as it should be. Absolutely. I was having a conversation with a master's student yesterday about equity and inclusion and, and Black Lives Matter. And she said to me, if I had a faculty member say on the first day of class that I want you, meaning the, the faculty member to the students, faculty wants the students to, to hold the faculty member accountable. So if I said, please hold me accountable this year, like I want to learn from you, she said it would make me cry tears of joy. Yes. Hmm. I think that's, because um, I think that's us showing our humanity to saying we don't know everything. We are all works in progress. And, and to think otherwise, um, there's a lot of ego involved if we think otherwise, right? Yeah. And so I think it gives them the permission to us to have real dialogue. Um, you know, I know I'm sure all professors, many professors, when we were looking at our, creating our syllabi this semester, what are we adding in? What language? Not just about have your cameras on and online learning and netiquette. What are we putting in our, our kind of, syllabi to indicate who we are as it comes to diversity and equity and inclusion and you know I crafted a statement from me as my as the professor um, and I am committed to learning and participating but that also signals I don't know everything and of course I don't know everything um, and so including those things to showcase your commitment but also to showcase um, it honors it honors others lived experiences I think yeah, and I think 
what I learned from, because I believe that so deeply, and I, I think that I try to do that. What the student shared with me is that it has to be explicit. So I love this idea of creating a statement, not a statement within the Selinger School of Business. Those are important. Um, and also your personal statement, which is more of a, a contract with your own students um, and to share the words and to talk about what those words mean. It's not just the, you know, the, the boilerplate language on every syllabus that the students read. It really is coming from a deeper, uh, deeper place. I love that. Um, Astrid, we know from your intro that you wear a lot of hats <laughs> and we would love for you to help us to understand kind of what a typical day was like. So what was your, what was the what? What was your doing before the pandemic? So think back to those days, if you can, um, <laughs> before the pivot, before times became unprecedented, and maybe just share with us kind of how your days went. Sure, so um, I really think I have the privilege of, of kind of having my feet everywhere. Sometimes it feels like I then have my feet nowhere, um, but, um, I, uh, I teach in two departments in the business school. So I teach in law and social responsibility. Um, law is my background. Uh, I, in one of your earlier podcasts, I think um, it was actually with you, Dr. Moose. It was um, asking when you didn't feel a sense of belonging. I can tell you I went to law school not to do numbers or science. So the fact I'm in a business school, you know, was really, uh, <laughs> shook me a little bit. Um, so I'm in the law and social responsibility department. Um, but I'm also in the management and international business department and uh, direct the international business um, program. Uh, and, and we just went through a big rewrite of that curriculum and what that looks like. Um, I also am the director, academic director of the Salinger Scholars Program, and that's our honors students at the business school. And oftentimes, right, many students are very grade conscious. And so if you're a scholar, then obviously this has to only mean academics and academic standing. And we have done a lot of work and that's what we have been working on and we'll continue to work on. This is a servant leadership program. The academics uh, are, are great and, and yes, um, but you know, hard work beats talent if talent doesn't work hard. You know? um, and so, that's been something we've worked a lot, myself and my other co-director, on changing kind of the, the ethos and spirit because the leaders we need need far more than an A on a transcript. Mm -hmm. So how do we how do we build those skill sets? So between teaching and running those two programs, um, and then the last five years I've chaired um, building a better world through business, which is kind of the kind of center uh, of Salinger right now, kind of our 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 key event, um, and that really is to get our students, especially at a Jesuit institution where our mission, we talk a lot about, but how do we integrate it? How are you as a professional and how are your workplaces going to contribute to the greater good, to social justice? And I think, you know, we have more examples now than we've seen in so long with, with businesses stepping up um, and, and really being kind of social activists. And so, that's been fortuitous and that's something I'll, I'll continue to, uh, to chair this year as well. Um, but that's kind of what my, my days looked like beforehand. Um, and just right, organic conversations, right? Which is the, the, the real potential loss uh, of the semester. How do you yeah. create organic conversations when things have to be scheduled? 
Yeah. Astrid, I'm wondering, you said you have, the, I'm like writing on, down all these great quotes <laughs> that you're oh, saying. Yeah. <laughs> this, 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 and I've heard this, the hard work beats talent if talent doesn't work hard. I wonder, um, you know, I've, I keep, I sort of follow the Harper Business Review and the great articles that they, yeah. and it seems lately, and I've said this to Brianna a couple of times, it seems that they have definitely shifted their focus on connection and relationships and the person. And I wonder in your, cause I am not in a business school for lots of reasons we don't need to go into. And I, I wonder, is that something that's a hard sell for employers or are they, are they getting it? Like this notion that like there's, it's more than just a grade. I'm just, I was just curious. Sure. So I think employers, right. I mean, I think employers want to see a sense of perseverance, especially if you see kind of how unpredictable life can be. Mm -hmm. um, grades are not necessarily an indicator as to how someone weathers that. Um, no. But I do think having a sense of um, self-confidence in knowing that you can pick yourself up um, and, and that you can do this and that you can work hard. Um, I think those are actually attributes that, that, play more, you know, into the marketplace than they have. Mm -hmm. And, and the mm -hmm. sense of kind of perseverance. Um, I had a student once a few years ago, um, come to me, it was senior year. She, one of these students, you just think, gosh, she is just put together perfectly. Right. I mean, in every sense in regard, and you're fixing your hair when you have a student meeting, because this student's always perfectly put together. <laughs> right. And, and she came in and she said, come in, close the door. I said, sure. And she just let it out and she was, she was crying. She was upset. She was doubting herself. And I said, talk to me, you know, and she said, I have been told I am good at everything my entire life and I am about to graduate and I don't know what I'm actually good at. And I am petrified. Mm -hmm. I haven't had someone be honest with me and I know they were doing it because they thought it was helping me, but I now feel absolutely lost. And so I think this whole notion of hard work, it allows you to tap into your own talents and it gives you a little kind of pep in your step and you, kind of, you know who you are. There's a greater self-awareness and there's a greater clarity. And I think that's also my role as, not even as a professor, as someone that's in these people's lives, mm -hmm. right? We're just people in the end and I, I'm in their lives when they graduate and, and think that that's a, uh, plays well not just in the marketplace it pays plays well with their own self-development yeah well that's a good that's a good segue because the the question that um we want to also ask and i think that's partly the reason we're doing this podcast astrid is this idea that um we're all managing this pandemic in lots of different ways we're all experiencing it in lots of different ways and we also have a really good sense that people are are overcoming challenges in really interesting ways and we want to hear about those right we want to learn from the other people and and also celebrate because let's be honest we're not celebrating a lot right now and so we want to we want to try to bring a positive spin <laughs> uh, to what's going on so the question really is and it, and it feeds into your ideas of perseverance and adaptability is when you think about you know your roles and your sort of uh, a day in a life before the pandemic can you talk with us or share with us something that's been particularly challenging either in, you know, in your work with your students or at your work at Loyola and sort of ways that you're adapting and, and sort of overcoming and, and addressing that challenge. So challenges pre-COVID. 
Well, challenges, challenges really, as you made that pivot, like sort of what was, yeah, what's like a challenge that you were facing in the midst of the pandemic and sort of what you did to overcome it and maybe sort of lessons learned as you look forward. Sure. So I think there's, there's a couple of things. Some things are more technical and planning, right? We had our building a better world that was happening in the end of March. Um, Last year, there was a snowstorm in March. And then this past March, was COVID. So I actually think I'm a hex on the event. Someone else should share it. Um, Right, but right, changing this three-day multifaceted um, uh, event where you have students who have come up with pitch competition ideas Mm and are, are excited to kind of they're doing, you know, what we were encouraging them to be innovative and creative. Um, and it was all about what are the needs? Um, uh, how can we better be, be a better resource rather to Baltimore City? And so they were really excited about this. And, and I think it's important for us to be a good neighbor with Baltimore City, mm-hmm. which is a beloved city of mine for sure. Um, so we had to make changes on that. And how do you keep the momentum? Mm-hmm. You know, uh, how do how do you say you weren't just being innovative for this event? You weren't just connecting with Baltimore City for this event, mm-hmm. you know? And so how do you keep that contact? I think the other challenge is uh, students just feeling greater senses of anxiety, right? Mm-hmm. I think on, on a perfect day, anxiety can be high. And you can see that. I can read that in a room. Um, and so I think the challenge for, for me pivoting um, was how do you read it on the screen? Mm. How do you, when you, you know, when you're one-on-one in Zoom, you can get a sense and there's, you know, they put their guard down. But when you're in a classroom, you know, you can look out and look around and you can see who's having a bad day, who's off their game, who looks a little different. And so for me, I've given a lot of thought. I've spoken to dozens of students this, this summer say, how can I best ascertain from behind the screen, how you're doing, what can I do to, and part of it is consistency, right? They said, Professor, your reputation, you know, I, I don't mean this in a, I, a pat on the back way, your reputation precedes you, be consistent because people know you care and that's what builds trust. That's what allows for the imperfect moments. I don't even think they're imperfect moments, they're human moments, right? Um, but that level of consistency requires me continuing to be authentic. And so me having somewhat of this conversation with them in the beginning of the semester. Um, I wrote them an email last week to all my students. I had four classes this semester. Um, so it's a good number of students simply saying, because we have to be distant, you know, because there's distance between us doesn't mean we should be distant. There is so much going on between you know, COVID and the impact socially, health-wise, economically that is having because of Black Lives Matters and how people are feeling with that um, in so many levels and being able to talk. And if you can read a room, those conversations are are never going to be easier, but maybe more comfortable. Um, and, and I've said, you know, and you all quote Renee Brown, so I will do the same in life, um, you know, one thing I will tell my students is I didn't come to be right. I came to get it right. Mm-hmm. And that's, so I think that for me is, is how I'm going to overcome it with just being consistent, being, being open. I think there's, there's ways and times to be open that can kind of 
support the class, support the individual, but support the collective um, in ways. And so that's what I'm, I'm hoping for. Sounds like your uh, time at the deli in Queens and your experience with your parents and San the Sandy storm is, is resonating with you at this moment as well. It sounds like to me. <laughs> it, it is. I, you know, I always say I, as a kid, I remember I'm embarrassed to say I used to be so embarrassed of the family luncheonette, right? Because I had family, uh, you know, friends, parents who had suits and everyone looked fancy. We were like, you know, cutting up chopped meat to make the hamburgers and putting it through the grinder and you smelt like grease. Um, and I say now, gosh, like what a place, what a privilege. Mm. And um, yeah. so. That's lovely. That's awesome. I really love this idea that, that you shared before about uh, when there was nothing else, your parents gave coffee because yeah. that's what they had left. And I kind of wondered, I, sometimes I felt that way in the spring. Yeah. I felt like there was nothing except just authentic me, <laughs> yes. you know, and we're, we're just trying to figure this out together. And I feel like that connection and that trust that I had built, I mean, we were fortunate to have built that trust in person, you know, in a normal way yeah. um, in the beginning of the semester. So that was, I think, established by the time we, we left campus. But that was sort of the coffee for me. Like that's what was left was just this, like, let's just be together and talk and figure out together how we're gonna get through this. How are we gonna get through this these next 50 minutes together. Yeah. Is there any way we can get some material? What do you think we should talk about first so that we could kind of connect and then maybe talk about neurology or, or whatever yeah. was on the schedule? Um, I, I love that. It's like taking all this, you know, the extraneous things away and, and just sharing what is left. Yeah, and, yeah. and if, you know, being authentic and having coffee is all that's left, I think we're in, we're in okay shape at the <laughs> yeah. moment, right? We um, are. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I, I also think, and I don't know how you all think about this, something in the spring, right, there was a lot of goodwill because we were making the transition, everything was on the fly. We have now had the time to, quote, perfect our craft, which is, you know, um, which is a reach for me. You all might be more technologically savvy. Um, I'm doing Flipgrid and I feel like I have conquered technology. So, um, <laughs> but, but one thing I, I not struggle with, I maybe just haven't had gotten my head around is I want to enter the room with authenticity. I want to enter the room with this space to talk about the challenges and what has been overcome. I also don't want us to become victims to this moment because if it's, if it's woe is us because we're online having to do this class, that energy, right, act the way you want to feel, right? That energy will lead to disengagement, which will, and so it's kind of, you know, maybe what you were saying earlier on, Carrie, kind of how do we kind of rally the troops, you know, and like we can do hard things. And if this is our lift, we can do this. Um, and there'll be times when we fall and that's okay. Um, we don't need to get this perfectly, um, but we need to kind of need to show up, right? It's not an excuse to have your hat backwards lying on the couch and your computer on your on your chest, right? Let's sit up, let's let's engage, and maybe every day we can't do it to the same, but we can try to be our best self every day, whatever that looks like. It'll look different. Yeah, I was I I totally agree with you, Astrid. I was speaking with a student earlier in the summer, and she was sort of talking about the things that she needs to do in addition to, you know, working full time and being a parent and all those sort of things. And we've, we sort of came to this notion that like success just looks different right now. Right. And that's, so that's been sort of my motto all summer with my students is the conversations are 
I li- I li- do a lot of listening because they just need space to talk about all the crap literally that's going on, right? That's really hard to manage. Yeah. And then I say, okay, so what what little piece can we do today? Like, what what do you think you can manage today? And and if it's even if it's just writing four pages of a chapter one of a dissertation, that's something. And and you're right, we, we just we have to keep for forging on and moving forward and and expanding and growing and learning and also just create that space so that they can, I have found students just need, they just need space to be heard. They just, they don't want sympathy. They, they don't want charity. They don't want sympathy. They're not looking for a break. They just need space to be heard. And so, so yeah, so the conversations are a little, maybe a little longer and a little different, but I always think there's, there's great learning and payoff in, in every connection I have with them. So it's, it's never a wasted time for sure. So yeah, it goes back to that yes and thing that we've talked yeah. about quite a bit. Yes, we are online and we will move forward and yes. we will have moments of levity and moments of ridiculousness and Flipgrid will fail. Harry and <laughs> yes. I were on a Zoom the other night with a faculty member <laughs> and she said, I had this all planned and I went to do the chat and there was no chat. Literally, <laughs> yes. there was no chat on the bottom of the Zoom bar for her yep. or for her students. Yep. So laugh. Yes. Like, just laugh yes. and say, yes. where's the chat? I yes. it was here and then adapt and move on. And, you know, I bet whatever she was going to ask was probably that much better. The responses were that much better after this moment of like, and we're all just, you yeah. know, we're she in said this she had She had 18 students all looking at Zoom the same way, like looking <laughs> down at the computers, like, where's the chat button? So, yeah. So, yeah. Um, Astrid, you, you've given us a lot of great kind of nuggets of knowledge and quotes and, and yeah. thoughts to move forward. But I was wondering if you'd share one or two takeaways that you, you know, have from this crisis mode, I guess, that we've been in through COVID. Yeah. Uh, one thing, it's a takeaway, but it's, it's a question that I, I come back to. Um, how, do, how do I foster a sense of belonging when I don't have the lived experience that others who don't feel like they belong have had? You know, uh, they have a lived experience that I haven't had and they don't feel a sense of belonging. So how do I foster that? And, and I think that goes back to me being the learner for a lot of conversations. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's, that's important. I think the, the other thing that I keep uh, thinking about with the sense of belonging and just all of us being a little bit different this year, right? As, as we should be, I mean, each year we're a little bit different is I think back to when I used to practice immigration law and refugee law and these notions as to how do you integrate different lived experiences into, in that immigration flaw, into a nation or into a community. But I think about that in the classroom as well. And right there was, if you kind of look at the continuum of immigration law as it's evolved, it's been, right, first it was you tolerate the people coming. Mm-hmm. And you thought that that was a good thing at the time, right? You thought, oh, tolerance is great. And then you think, oh my gosh, this is not. And it moved on to assimilation, right? Mm -hmm. You assimilate into the environment. We thought, oh, that's good. And then we realized all of those shortcomings and and biases that live within that. Then we moved on to integration. How do you integrate? And, And that also has so many challenges and kind of has some dismissive factors. And so I just think about this mosaic. And I guess that's where I'll end. And there's this, it's the Canadian um, kind of verbiage around it that we all make a mosaic and everyone has that piece of glass that comes together in this mosaic as it came, right? So that piece of glass is in the mosaic as it arrived 
and that together we have we, we make this beautiful you know this beautiful piece of art that maybe singularly is beautiful but collectively is even stronger and so looking at all of our experiences looking at our class our students as kind of being this mosaic and just come as you are and let's come together and let's make you know not in a kumbaya way let's make a beautiful semester thing but but let's make beauty out of this moment um and whether that beauty is is messy or sad or you know we can do it together we can learn together we can have a sense of belonging and i actually think the connections that can be made this semester um and if necessary this year depending on what happens those will be life-changing and, and and i think that that is something that we get to have the privilege to be part of and maybe it'll feel like a burden but it's a privilege for sure yeah. absolutely um so the last question i think you've already answered it but i want to give you a chance in case because i don't want to i don't want to um put words in your mouth but the the last question is around sort of as you think about the pandemic and some of the challenges that you shared with us with respect to being in this mess um I think a beautiful mess, maybe, um, you know, has your perception of belonging that you sort of, you know, talked about earlier in the podcast, um, that definition, um, has it changed in significant ways or, or, you know, in addition to what you were just talking about, I know, I know you've said a little bit about it already, but is there anything you would add to that? You know, I, I think it's a, um, it's never been a term I have defined in a fixed way in mm -hmm. my life. Um, partially because of changing environments, but also, you know, as an attorney, you take your client as they come, mm -hmm. um, or you meet your client where they're at, and I, I do that with my students, and I also do it with myself, like, where am I at today? Mm -hmm. And so I, I think of belonging, um, it's really defined differently based on where someone stands, and what life experience we're going through, and what the needs of my community are. Um, my my student community and, and the Loyola community at large, our needs are so much different this year. Or our, I shouldn't say our needs, I think the needs for our, our awareness, our commitment to see change, our commitment to be responsive is different. And, and I also think belonging virtually is very different, right? That's, yes. not, that's not how I've done it. I've, I'm a people person um, by nature. And so I need to not maybe redefine belonging, but I think it's how do I create the ethos and environment to allow that feeling of belonging. Yeah. Um, Great. So I think we've reached the end, Brianne. Um, this has been amazing conversation. Um, much gratitude, Astrid, for your time and your thoughts and all your great quotes that I have tried to furiously jot down here. <laughs> Luckily, it's recorded so I can go back and listen to it. Um, hopefully, maybe later on in the semester or in the spring, I know you're a busy um, person, but maybe you'd come back and report on how the semester's going. I feel like there's some places in here that I would have loved to have dug into a bit more. Sure. <laughs> I want to hear more about the deli and your parents and the <laughs> stories. Um, and also just really, you know, you, you mentioned this idea of how to create belonging without knowing the lived experiences of other students. I think that's something that I will say as a, a gay white woman, um, I, I struggle with that. And I have a lot of students of color that I don't ever pretend to know their, their stories. I try to learn their stories and understand, but I think it would be great to have further conversation about sort of 
what you're doing in your spaces to 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 manage and address that. So maybe maybe you'll come back. I won't I won't put you on the spot, right? But I would be listen. Right, the whole the whole world's busy, but we we have choices to fill it with what we choose. So I I would be a pleasure to come back and and thank you all for for having me. Great. Yeah. Well, Brian, it was great uh, to chat with you, and you're right, Astrid is everything and more that you had shared with me earlier. So um, thanks to folks who are listening. This is Tell Me This, and this is season two, where we're talking, having conversations with educators defined very broadly with teachers, leaders, families. Um, Thanks for listening. Welcome back to Tell Me This. I hope you enjoyed the conversation with Dr. Schmidt King. Uh, I have to be honest that our Mm -hmm. conversation, this discussion made me miss our campus and our talks over (laughs) coffee and lunch, just surrounded by students milling around. I never, I, you know, I took that for granted the past few times that we've talked over the, you know, over the years, just, you know, that you're just full of this, all this energy around you, you know, with students present. But well, and I, and I had never met her. And so I was, I will be honest and say, I was kind of nervous because like the interviews I've done have mostly been people that I've at least met. And so I felt like I was coming into this cold And, (laughs) and and she's so lovely. Like she really does walk the walk. I know that's such a cliche, but when it's true, it's okay to use it. Right. I mean, she really, even over zoom for people who don't think you can make connections online. I definitely felt connected to her in that short bit of time that we had. And, and I, I know everybody heard on the, the interview, we had already kind of asked her to come back. So, <laughs> so hopefully she will. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That would be so great. I would love that. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I always just leave our conversations full of gratitude and appreciation for her mm. and our talk on tell me this was really no different. Like you said, even though it was over zoom. So I think there were several great takeaways. First, I always enjoy learning more about how her upbringing in the luncheonette in Queens Mm -hmm. was her best education. And I just so appreciate her authenticity and humility as she talks about the challenges of, you know, reading a screen versus reading the classroom Mm -hmm. because in terms of reading the room, because she has to know how her students are in order to teach them. And you know, that's a really urgent concern for her. The insight, though, that I wanted to unpack a bit was Astrid's thoughtful question when she said, how do I foster a sense of belonging without the lived experience of those who do not belong? And I wrote it down when she said it, and I just thought this, she just said perfectly what I've really been wrestling with over the summer so much. Oh, so few, right? Like, <laughs> that's, the, that's the big question. Yeah. Um, Carrie, you and I have both read and talked and read and talked and discussed um, and thought quite a bit about race and inequity mm-hmm. and, and Black Lives Matter this summer. Yeah. And right now I'm reading a book called So You Want to Talk About Race by Ijomo Oluo. Hope I got that right. Um, and in light of Astrid's comments, I wanted to share a bit about her chapter three called mm-hmm. What If I Talk About Race Wrong? So Iluo is a black woman whose mother is white. And Iluo writes, quote, our mom never thought that our blackness would hold us back in life. She thought Mm -hmm. we could rule the world. But that optimism and starry-eyed love was, in fact, born from her whiteness. Mm -hmm. It was almost impossible for her to see all the everyday hurdles we had to jump, the tiny cuts of racism that we endured throughout our lives. Close quote. Mm -hmm. So my gosh, I left that thinking, if Aluo's mother, her own mother, 
didn't have a true sense of what Aluo's every day was like. How can we, right, as white faculty, and I'm talking about you, Carrie, Astrid, and myself, yeah. how can we go there with our students? And Aluo is gracious enough to answer that question in her book, thankfully. And she <laughs> offers several, as she says, and I'm going to quote her again because I love the way she speaks, basic tips that will increase your chance of conversation success or at least decrease your chance of conversation disaster. <laughs> um, and she, she's so funny and frank in her, in her language, and I, I appreciate it because the topic is so heavy, so it's yeah. nice that there's some levity in her language. Absolutely. Um, she shares nine suggestions. I'm not going to share all nine, <laughs> but I will focus on the two that reminded me of our talk with Astrid. So first is state your intentions. Mm. She says, figure out why you're having conversations about race. What are you hoping to get out of that discussion? Share that. Mm. Then students can decide if it's a conversation that they are okay, are okay with as participants. And Astrid mentioned that she is going to share her own statement as she begins courses this mm. fall. So Loyola has issued statements. Many departments have issued statements. And she felt that this is a way for her to share her intentions with her students from the beginning. Mm. Um, I have not read her statement, but I imagine, you know, that she shares like with us that she's very much a learner. And she says, you know, please hold me accountable and teach me mm. during this course. So I think that, you know, she does, a, I would imagine, is going to do a great job stating her intentions. Mm -hmm. um, and then the second suggestion, this is actually number eight on Alula's list, but the second suggestion that I'll share is that she says, ask yourself, am I trying to be right or am I trying to do better? Right, Carrie's laughing. She I know where you're where going. Aluo <laughs> um, said, this is not about winning or about one-upping. This is a journey. And we are really just trying to improve as we move through each conversation. So, mm. of course, this reminded me of Astrid's uh, mention of Brene Brown's quote, yeah. we don't come to be right, we come to get it right. And mm. I think that Aluo, um, you know, might agree. Um, and then finally, she closes chapter three with six tips about what to do when, and she says when, not if, your mm. conversation on race goes very wrong. For example, she suggests stop trying to jump back in a conversation when it is beyond saving, mm. um, apologize, and don't beat yourself up. Mm. So I don't know. What do you think, Carrie? <laughs> I, think, I think this is amazing. Like, I just love... I was listening to a podcast the other day and these women were making these connections and one woman, I don't know if you've watched Homeland. Have you watched Homeland? Oh, yes. Oh my gosh. This yes. one woman. That, that gets in my head. <laughs> this one woman said, oh my gosh, can you please make a Homeland chart with all of the red like thread going from all the yes. connections? And that's what <laughs> yeah. my brain was doing like from interview to interview. Like, I mean, even as back, you know, episode one with Kristen and talking about being intent, you know, intentional and things and thinking about Brene Brown and how I said, you know, to, we always talk about leaning in. Um, yeah. But the other thing Brene Brown always says about hard meetings is she says, you lean in and you don't give up, but it doesn't mean you don't take breaks. Mm. Right. Like, the, oh yeah. So like to your point in that book, um, the she, Brene Brown says that basically her team, cause they've tried to do this stuff with, with her team at, you know, I guess Brene Brown Inc, whatever it's called. <laughs> yeah. But they all sort of hit the pause button and say, okay, we all need a break because we're all overloaded, but we're going to come back to this. So like you can still lean in and take a break, which is, I love that you reminded us of that. And of course, getting it right instead of being right is like, 
I feel like that's so imp- important. And I won't say but. And the other thing I was thinking about when I was listening to you is that is like saying that and doing that are so different because like oh. as a faculty member in higher education, and I know you know this, like telling a faculty member that it's more about getting it right than being right is so out of the like norm convention yeah yeah I was gonna say tradition or ethos or rituals or whatever of being a faculty member so that's a that's a big one to to sort of swallow for most people yep that's a (laughs) for sure yeah Yeah. it's like got vulnerability written all over it right it does yeah for sure I just think that Astrid you know, she, she goes there with vulnerability, with sharing yeah. her own, you know, concerns about her upbringing and, and how that might impact her. And yeah. she just does it so beautifully. So I, yeah. I feel hopeful about the fall after yeah. talking with her. Mm, um, that's good. You know, and as you said, we would love to have her back to hear how things are going in yes. her, in her courses. Yeah. I think, I think the take, oh, go ahead. No, I would, before you hit the takeaways, I just, yeah. I, I, from just meeting her that one time, I think, the other thing, uh, what I think I also learned from her, and I agree with the hopefulness, is that she just has this confidence about her. Like it's, and it's not an air, it's a confidence that, like, it's, it's just evident that what she's saying, she just lives it in her bones. I don't know how else to say it. And I think that's why it's like, it's easy to be with her and to listen to what she's saying and to like be like, yeah, I totally get that. Cause she just, it's clear that she believes it. Like, she's not just like, she's not just like studying it in a book and then bringing it to us and saying, Oh, this is what the book said. Like, I don't know. I just, I don't know if, if you sense that too, but it just feels oh, yeah, so I, authentic. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. Awesome. Yep. She's got such a unique blend of, you know, tremendous experience. She could, she could have sort of an attitude about that, right? Like she could present all the degrees and the experience and and all that, but she doesn't at all. It's really just kind of just builds and contributes to her character, which she generously shares with her students and I, and all of us too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So I think the takeaways for this week, I'll just borrow right from Aluo. Number one, state your intentions. So Mm -hmm. when you're having conversations that, that feel hard uh, about race, about whatever, uh, be clear about why you're going there, what you're hoping to get out of it. And then, you know, ask yourself that question, am I trying to be right or am I trying to do better? And hopefully it's the latter. <laughs> yes. So um, with that, this is season two, episode six of Tell Me This, a podcast about belonging, building communities and cultivating connections. I'm Brianne Roos here with Dr. Carrie Burkowski and we'll see you next time. Yeah, thanks, Brianne. That was awesome. Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, and improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com forward slash BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all of these goals. That's IXL.com forward slash BE.